Hello and welcome to Open Source Underdogs. I'm your host, Mike Schwartz, and this is episode 53 with Rajashri Ghosh, co-founder of Hasura, a relatively young startup using GraphQL to connect enterprise data. I'm happy to report that Rajoshi is the first Indian national we've had as a guest on the podcast, a trend which I hope continues. Although she's normally based in the Bay Area, Rajoshi was in Bangalore in late July when we recorded this. As I mentioned, Hazura is a young startup, but given their success and momentum, I thought it'd be interesting to hear their story sooner than normal. If you're interested in GraphQL, you might also want to listen to episode 41 with Jeff Schmidt, the founder and CEO of Apollo. So without further ado, here's Rajashi Ghosh, co-founder of Hasura. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Really happy to be here. What's the origin story of Hasura? Tanma and I, my co-founder Tanma and I, we started working together a really long time back. And I think at that point, we really wanted to work on something that would make application development easier. We, but we did not know what shape or form this would take. And so what we started doing was we uh, started building products for, started off with friends and then, you know, moved on to like local startups and then started working with one of the largest banks out there, help, you know, consulting with them. We realized that if we were building enough products across different types of companies and different industries, then we would learn a lot about the, you know, different businesses. And also it gives us an opportunity to try and build tooling that can work across companies of different sizes and different industries and verticals. So we, we sort of got into this consulting business that we did, but the entire time we had a small team that was continuously building, you know, this, uh, building different products that could be used across, uh, you know, the different clients that we were working with. So we did that for about three and a half years. And then they, it came to a point where, you know, we'd build a bunch of the, these tools and, you know, we were faced with the decision of signing like a multi-year contract for a consulting gig with a really large bank or actually going back to saying, okay, let's take these products to market and build a business out of it. And so we decided to start Hasura, wind down the consulting practice. So that's kind of how set of the tools that like parts of Hasura were built. And so what we did after that was we spent a few months taking these different pieces that we'd built to market, trying to, you know, open sourced a bunch of them, saw how folks were reacting, trying to understand the business implications of these products being used. And that's kind of how the Hasura GraphQL engine, which is our open source product sort of came about. You know, we spoke to a bunch of people, realized that data access was a big problem that people seem to be, you know, struggling with across all kinds of companies and again, different sizes of businesses. And so that was the piece that, you know, when we open sourced and we wrote about it and we put it out. And I think the first blog post that we had about our product resulted in a Fortune 500 healthcare company reaching out to us and saying, hey, we really want this. So we knew we were onto something. So that's, so it started out uh, with this consulting practice, building pieces of this data access uh, problem from there and then kind of polishing it up and launching it as the Hasura GraphQL engine in 2018. A few episodes back, we had Jeff Schmidt, one of the founders of Apollo GraphQL. Mm -hmm. And although this is a business podcast, not a tech podcast, we have a lot of techie listeners out there. So maybe you could just give a quick overview. I know that Apollo is part of the community, you're part of the community, and the products are different, but maybe you could just give a quick overview of like how the products like fit in the market. Absolutely. At Hasura, we kind of came at this problem. From the data access angle, we were trying to solve the data access problem. And back in our consulting days, we'd actually built our own version of GraphQL called RQL. And, you know, we had, we had that whole thing going. And 
you know, every time we would talk to people about what we were building, and this was around the time GraphQL was getting popular, people would tell us, hey, this sounds an awful like GraphQL. Why don't you add support for GraphQL? So that's how we sort of, you know, waded into the GraphQL space. But we sort of came at it from the data access piece. So what Hasura as a product does today is it's this service that you connect to your database and your databases and other data sources, and it kind of instantly gives you GraphQL APIs. So it sort of short circuits the path. Like you don't really need to build a GraphQL server. Asura kind of becomes that piece in the middle that connects to your database and other services and gives you these APIs. And Asura has a metadata engine where you know you can specify the relationships between your different pieces of data. You can add authorization logic. We have a very granular auth- authorization system built in. And, and then you can start accessing these APIs directly from your front-end clients. That's how we fit into the GraphQL ecosystem. And now, you know, we have our, uh, you know, Hasura is available as a cloud product. And what, uh, what you also have is you have a lot of features that help you kind of uh, run Hasura in production. And there, there's a little bit of overlap with some of the things that Apollo Engine does, which, which is basically, you know, like monitoring and analytics. Uh, sort of add that API layer. So these are the features that we have in common, but the problems that we're solving are very different. I think Apollo is coming at it from the side of being, you know, like a GraphQL gateway where every every different service speaks GraphQL and they're kind of the GraphQL gateway and they're building tooling at that GraphQL gateway sort of layer, whereas we're, we're sort of more on the infrastructure layer where we're talking, where we're solving solving the data access problem and we give you GraphQL APIs. So if you could go back to that day when you said, okay, we don't want to take this contract. We want to move forward with a software company. That must have been a little while back. But if you could go back to that day, would you do anything differently in terms of how you executed after that? That's a very interesting question. I would say not because I think, so what what happened, like the steps that sort of followed from there is we took the product, we had, uh, you know, we had built some great tech. So, you know, we raised uh, some seed money based on some of the tech we'd built. We, you know, took that to market. And once we put out um, the GraphQL engine on, like, you know, we did a show HN launch, like a Hacker News launch. And, um, you know, that was a pretty good launch. Like a lot of people found out about the product. And usually what happens is with Hacker News launches, they're very transient, you know, somebody finds it out, finds out about it on one day and then you sometimes it goes great. But sometimes, you know, you, there, there, is, there are new products being launched there every single day. But I think what helped us uh, sort of stick around after that initially, uh, after that initial launch was the fact that when people started trying it out and looking at our documentation, there were two things that I think really helped us over there. One was that a the documentation was very complete. And, you know, this was also because, you know, this was a problem that we'd been at for a while. And the second thing was the getting started experience was magical. Like it was 30 seconds to your first GraphQL API. You would connect it to an existing you know, database, an existing Postgres database, and you would instantly get APIs. So that sort of helped us get the word around, uh, get, you know, got people excited and, you know, they spoke about it to each other. And that started off our sort of developer adoption journey. So we were still tagged alpha back then. And, you know, we already saw all kinds of companies starting to use Hasura and putting it in a very critical part of their stack. So, uh, what happened? So what we had done is we hadn't actually started building a commercial product just then. We just put this out and we were still trying it out. But what, because of the kinds of companies who started using us and then, you know, they started calling us and said, saying, Hey, you know what? We're using this. If this goes down, like 
who are we going to talk to? Like, can we sign a contract with you? And then we started getting these calls from companies. And then that also helped us sort of in, like that helped inform our kind of roadmap of how we were going to, what we were going to build into our enterprise product. And then we launched that earlier this year. So I would, I think the journey has been one of uh, learning and uh, on all sides of things, like growing an open source community, growing the usage of an open source software, and then building a commercial product around it. That's been a really good journey. And I think the fact that people really like the commercial versions of the product as well is something that comes from having been through that journey with our users, listening to our customers and uh, working alongside them over the last uh, two years. So that pivot that you're describing is really difficult to make from open source project to commercial product. And you're probably still making that pivot as we talk. But can you talk about, so what are your thoughts about the strategy for, you know, whether I heard you mention that you launch a cloud service, that's certainly a fantastic business model. There's also a lot of um, innovation around open core, you know, making certain parts of your product commercial versus open source. So how have you how have you figured out how to monetize some of the open source to fund the company? I think the way we've been thinking about uh, you know what is becomes a part of sort of our you know commercial offerings is things that companies using GraphQL engine in production will start needing you know when they are in production. So you know things like monitoring and analytics, stuff like you know query capture, so that you're able to create allow lists when you're in production. You know prevent breaking changes with regression testing great limiting of, you know, your queries. These are kinds of features that, that people need when they're in production. So these are the kinds of things that we put in our, uh, sort of, uh, in our commercial versions. And, uh, you know, the core GraphQL engine, which sort of gets you, uh, you know, building and, and then you need to self-manage and you need to build all of these tooling yourself. But the core that sort of gives you the APIs and helps you connect to data systems, that's in the open source part. Because that's part of your critical infrastructure and, you know, being an open source product, if you're in the infra stage, I think is almost like a, uh, is, 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 a, is a given these days. What's the positioning of the cloud product? I, I understand you just launched that, but what, what is your vision for, is that going to be a major part of the revenue streams? Is it just for, so people can get started and, you know, kick the tires quickly? Where do you think that fits? It's very new. We just actually, um, you know, announced general availability. We launched it about four weeks ago. So it's very, very new, but we do foresee it being a critical part of our like revenue stream going forward. So what we did is we actually re-engineered the Hasra open source engine for to be, um, you know, like a true cloud SaaS product. Both of the things you mentioned are important in the sense that the getting started with Hasra on cloud is something that we absolutely, you know, care about that being the best experience for you to get started on Hasura. So that's extremely critical to us that anybody who wants to try Hasura, the experience getting started on cloud should be magical. So that's very important, but it's also something that we're building for, you know, companies running Hasura at significant amounts of, uh, amounts of, uh, you know, traffic and scale in production. So uh, what what we see the cloud, you know, we have very interesting sort of things that we've built into the cloud. And one of those is sort of like dynamic data caching. And that's something that we've, uh, I know that the podcast is going to be out about three weeks after we speak, but actually in, in just about an hour, Tanmay, my co-founder is going to be speaking about, you know, server-side caching and dynamic data caching as part of the GraphQL summit, you know, where he's uh, going to talk about how we've built it and what is our sort of uh, vision of uh, you know the cloud which is uh, something like 
you know, CDN for data. So that's kind of where we see it going, where, you know, you build, you connect your data sources. Data is being fragmented and data is everywhere. It's in your databases, it's in multiple data sources, and you have this managed infrastructure piece in the middle that just helps you connect to all of these data sources, magically get this API, and it's fully managed, it scales, uh, it's, it's super fast. And so, yeah, that's kind of the way we look at the cloud product. You mentioned that Hasura is almost like a data connection layer. One of the main value propositions must be getting access to your data. But what are some of the other reasons that's driving enterprise customers in particular to adopt Hasura? I think for enterprises specifically, since uh, you know that that was uh, that was your question, I think one of the things that we, we're seeing and that our enterprise customers are seeing is that time to time to value and time to market. So. As people are building with Hasura, and we recently had our user conference where, you know, Philips Healthcare, one of the solutions architect there, who's been a solutions architect for 26 years, spoke about how, you know, something that they're building with Hasura would have typically taken them two to four years, but they were able to ship, build and ship this product in under a year. So companies and enterprises are saving like quarters and like years of work by using Hasura because Hasura is just you get these APIs with access control out of the box. This is thing, this could be anywhere from like 40 to 90% of, you know, the backend uh, logic that you need to write. So that's a huge benefit. And that's kind of what is also helping Hasura spread by word of mouth within the enterprise. Once one team starts using it, other teams are sort of see the pace at which people are building. And that's helping the word spread within enterprise for us. So that's one. The second, the, there are two other things that, you know, again, we've heard our users talk about. One is having better domain understanding. So now Sura is this layer that connects to all of your different data sources. You sort of have a better understanding of your domains and that helps architects and that helps team leads sort of build faster because as things are very fragmented, Hasura kind of, kind of brings that unified view of your different access control rules across different data sources. That also adds to the speed aspect that I spoke about, but that's also in itself a huge benefit that enterprises are seeing today with Hasura. And the third one is enhanced security. And again, each of these points are sort of building on the previous thing that I spoke about, which is we have the Hasura console, which is this, you know, which is this UI where you can see all of these different access control rules. And so you're able to see very granular access control rules are set up for, again, all of the kinds of data access that you need to do. So having that visibility in one UI makes it very easy for, again, enterprises to handle the security aspect of data access. These are things that we've heard time and again uh, from our enterprise users as benefits that they see building with Hasura. And on top of this is the entire GraphQL piece, which is all of the benefits of GraphQL that is making people move towards GraphQL, the amazing developer ecosystem around it, the tooling, the developer experience for front-end developers to get started and build products fast. So the front-end experience with GraphQL, along with the team's experience with something with Hasura or some with, with Hasura to handle all of the different data sources and the access control kind of makes that package really valuable for our users, especially in enterprise. You mentioned the user conference and I'm wondering what is the current community like for Hasura and how do you see developing the community and giving the community enough value going forward? We have a really, really engaged community around Hasura and it's something that we're all very, very excited about. And it makes us, it really makes us very happy and we deeply care about the community around Hasura. So 
more than half of our engineering team is working on our open source product. There's continuous development and we're listening to our users in the community very closely and sort of, you know, acting on things and that they're talking about. So there's that aspect to it. And there's also the aspect of like really helping the learning process. So we have a very extensive set of tutorials on GraphQL, on Hasura, on, you know, authorization that we've built on hasura.io slash learn, which basically the GraphQL tutorials over there are like vendor agnostic tutorials, which are just about getting started with Hasura wherever you, whatever sort of stack you come from, especially for front-end developers. So I think we have almost more than 10, you know, tutorials for different stacks for you to get started with GraphQL. And overall, the site has, I think, almost like 15 to 17 tutorials on like full stack, front-end, back-end, authorization, data modeling. So these are things that we put out continuously for the open source community. We have a very vibrant Discord community and we have community champions who are folks who are helping out each other and helping out other users who are coming into the Hasura, new folks who are coming into the Hasura community. So that's where the community hangs out. And yeah, and I think putting all of, bringing all of these aspects together at the user conference was truly amazing for us. Two years into, you know, us launching Hasura that we put out this user conference had about 33 talks of which three were from Hasura folks and the other 30 were from the community, just talking about different ways in which they're using Hasura, different pieces of tooling that they've built. So it was really, really good to hear and good to see the community coming together, giving back and like talking about how they've learned and built things with Hasura. Does the community actually commit any code? We do have community contributions happening on console code base, on documentation, on sort of lots of boilerplate tooling. But yes, there is community contribution going into the core repo as well. So pricing is one of the hardest exercises, not only for open source startups, but I think for every company. What are some of the gates um, that you're thinking about for pricing? And how do you get, for example, intrinsic value-based pricing for the customer? Yeah, this is something that, you know, we're thinking deeply about and, you know, also evolving. We're very early in the stage, so, you know, in this journey. So, you know, I'm sure if we talk one year down the line, there'd be a lot, a lot more color that I can add to this conversation, to this topic. But right now we're thinking about it as basically pricing on the cloud product, right? Consumption-based pricing, which is basically on data pass through. We have a starting tier with a certain amount of data pass through, and then we're basically charging on data pass through. And we have a few more things on the number of collaborators and the limits we apply on some of the features that you get. But the, the primary way that we're thinking about pricing is on the data pass through. So that's currently how we price on the cloud product. And for enterprises, which either on the cloud or on a self-hosted model, currently it's feature bundles and pricing per project, which is unlimited usage, but pricing per project. That's how we're pricing on the enterprise. But on cloud, it's, you know, with these usage limits and that scales as your, your usage of the product scales. And each of these is for Hasura project. So a lot of um, software startups um, in your area are m making most of their money in the enterprise space. But do you think that you'll find a way to also offer products and services to smaller organizations? I think so. I mean, today our users do span the spectrum from, you know, indie hobby developers to folks in the enterprise. We definitely, our cloud product is meant to be uh, something that, uh, you know, caters to 
smaller products that are just kind of getting started and in production. So, and, and there's always open source that you can sort of self host and run across any kind of hosting service there is. Yeah. So, but the cloud is something that we have envisioned to be anyone running GraphQL in production should be able to start. Pricing would make sense for them economically. And that's sort of how we're thinking about it. And like I said, it's very early days for us. And so we're going to sort of observe and see how this scales for us over the next few months and keep tweaking this. Right now you're sitting in Bangalore, one of the urban hubs of technologies. What are your thoughts about growing the team and how you'll have to adjust the plan for the pandemic? We started becoming a distributed company early in 2019. I think 2019 was when we brought our first remote colleague on board. And since then, we've been hiring across the globe remotely. So that was very helpful to us during COVID, like all of our communication and all of our working in a a distributed manner across different time zones. So that really helped us when we all went with, with COVID. So in terms of growing the team, I think we will continue to hire across the globe in different uh, cities and different countries. That's how we're thinking of growing the team. We do have a base in Bangalore and we have a base in San Francisco. So we will look at hiring across these two cities. But we'd also currently we have people in, I think, over 20 cities outside of these two, outside of Bangalore and San Francisco. Maybe even more. I haven't actually done a proper count, but we have everybody from like LA to Melbourne and like, you know, everything in, in middle. So we, we don't have a thing. We, we can't actually do an all hands call where we have everybody in the same call because we have like the West Coast, we have Europe, we have, you know, India, Southeast Asia and Australia. So we kind of do this call in the morning you know, morning time SF, and then we'd record that and we do a one in the evening, like late evening, which works for like Australia, Asia, and Europe. And we kind of play the recording and then do another second half and then record that and play that in the next thing. So we figured this out and it's working pretty well, but we're already across time zones where we can't fit everybody into one call that is not a crazy hour. So I, I expect us to kind of keep chugging along that way. And it's fun. I mean, it's great to have colleagues from like all over the globe. And we try to bring everybody together twice a year. That's surprisingly enough. We actually had one of those this year, which sounds magical and unbelievable almost that we actually had a team offsite in 2020. But we did that just before COVID struck. And now we're all waiting for that to happen again. So it's really hard to start any kind of business, but open sourcing your software adds a little extra challenge, I think. Do you have any advice for founders on how to find the right balance to make open source an advantage in their business model? Yeah, I think why open source is a very important question to ask. If if you are sort of just starting off and, you know, the decision is between like, should I open source or not? I think why is open source important to that specific kind of business is an important question to ask. I mean, there are every kind of product today, I guess, there are open source and closed source alternatives. In the infrastructure space, open source has pretty much become table stakes for people for how software is being adopted. But I think thinking through the business model right right from the beginning and not making that an afterthought is going to be very important. That would be my only piece of advice to sort of think about it from day one, at least as much as you possibly can. Because there are two ways, right? Either you start it, start a business intentionally saying this is going to be an open source business and then I'm going to start layering on commercial features 
or you know you build something open source as a side project and that kind of takes off and then you try to figure out oh wow this everyone's using this how can i make a business out of it i guess if that's the way you're going about it then then you know you will have to figure it out as it happens but if you're intentionally doing it i think thinking through really thinking through how will you start monetizing right from day one is going to be very important because oftentimes if the differentiation factor between what is you know what is open source and what you plan to make a part of the commercial feature if it's not very well thought out then that can lead to all kinds of problems both from the community as, as well as just generally as to become a viable business did you follow your own advice there <laughs> so yes we did we did i think we did uh, we partially we did definitely know that you know we didn't want to make our commercial offering we we knew that we did it was a support based model wasn't what we were going for that's not the kind of open source company we were building out to be and we also did not want to have a like you know have our cloud version to be just like a hosted offering because the problem the way we see it if it's you know a hosted offering of your open source software then you know everyone's bound to compare it to hey but i can host it on so and so provider for like this much cheaper so we did not want to go down that path so we wanted to really offer features and as which were part of our commercial offering that would really again make sense for the stage you, of the company you were and you know it would like i was saying like economically and ergonomically kind of make sense so that was something that we so yeah it was always about like what are the things that you will need once you're in production you know you've built the product you trust the product and now you want to go ahead in production and what are the things you don't want to worry about when you are in production and that's kind of what we look at monetizing so the jury is still out i mean we'll we're uh, we're going to see how this works out but so far the signs are good i think people are really liking our commercial features and the product so but it's early days we'll see how things evolve so you're the first indian female founder we've had on the podcast and i hope you won't be the last i'd like to end with a different question than i normally ask who are some of the leaders and role models that influence your decision to co-found Hasura. Wow, that influenced my decision to co-found Hasura. That is a very very <laughs> that's a very difficult uh question to answer because uh I used to be in genomics and research. I am a bioinformatics person by sort of education and like whatever the first few years of my career. And if somebody had asked me then are you going to be the co like whatever start a company, I think it would have not crossed my mind. I was deep in the academic world and it was so far away from anything that i thought about that i don't think i would have had an answer when i started working at this incubator is when i saw how you know startups work i found out about startup this uh, incubator that i worked at used to have a lot of folks who built companies successful companies they come and speak to the to the students though i was a mentor there i was also a student because i was teaching them programming and learning about all of these different amazing business things from folks who had successful startups and that was the first time the thought crossed my mind i mean my journey it was just sort of like and once i did that that was a 11 month stint where i taught i think for me after that it was it just seemed like the next step that i had to take and that's kind of how i got into it so i it wasn't again like an extremely like hey i am going to start a company sort of thing it's sort of just like my my life experiences led me to this so i guess i don't know how i can sort of talk about role models and who kind of influenced my decision i think that experience that i had teaching at at this uh, incubator which is actually based in west africa and ghana and it's run by a silicon valley company called meltwater 
it's an amazing program and they have, you know, they bring students um, who are fresh graduates from university who want to start companies and train them. And just being part of that ecosystem, I think that was my inspiration. That ex- in, that entire uh, that entire experience was my inspiration to sort of start something and know that it and not get bogged down by you know is this going to be really impossible to do? Well, congratulations! I think you're going to be the role model for the next generation of entrepreneurs going forward. So, best of luck with Hasura and and everything else you do. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks a lot for having me. Really enjoyed this chat. Thanks to the Hasura team for help coordinating the podcast, audio editing by Inez Satenji, transcription and episode website by Maria Anchakovic, cool graphics from Kamal Bhattacharji, music from Broke for Free, Chris Zabriskie, and Lee Rosevere. Next time, we have Justin Borgman, CEO of Starburst. If you don't know Starburst, I highly recommend listening because it's an amazing story of a perfectly executed startup. Justin was great. Until next time, stay safe and thanks for listening.